Father, we come before you bearing no righteousness, no worth, no merit of our own. But we come in the name of the Lord Jesus because of his shed blood, his atoning substitutionary sacrifice in our behalf and because you have called us by your word, by your grace, by your spirit and we have believed on the Lord Jesus and been saved. We pray that this may be a day of salvation at Cornerstone Church and all over the earth wherever the name of Jesus is lifted up and we pray that now in this room you will teach us your will, your ways for our lives. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The title of this sermon is Integrity. There you see the waves splashing against your integrity, trying to knock it down, trying to destroy it. But in Christ, your integrity stands. Now, let me make clear at the very start that the Christian message is not try really hard to have integrity. Try extremely hard to be a very religious and moral person. And if you try hard enough, God will be pleased with you and you'll go to heaven. That is not the Christian message. The Christian message is you're a sinner. You fail in integrity. You fail in keeping God's law. But if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn your heart to him, you will be saved. That's the Christian message. The Christian message is grace not human works. The Christian message is free salvation, not earned salvation. So we want you to know that uh, if, if you're wondering, well, what would I have to do to become a Christian? That's very simple. You just turn your heart to God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the Christian message. But once you're a believer, there's this thing that happens in you. It's called regeneration and you receive a new heart, a God-loving heart a law-loving heart, a Christ-loving heart, and the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you, and he inclines that new heart to the things of God and the ways of God, and he begins to produce what the Bible calls fruit in you. There's the root, that's your saving faith in Christ. Then there's the fruit, that's the things that grow out of a redeemed heart, a renewed heart, a spirit-inhabited heart. And part of the fruit that comes out is integrity. So today we're talking, and next Sunday too, and maybe even the following one we'll see, we're talking about integrity. Let's define it. So here's my definition. It's nothing fancy. Integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. The state of being whole and undivided morally. The state of being whole and undivided ethically. I'll, I'll explain more what that means. It comes from a root word that maybe you'll recognize, especially if you're like a math person, and the root word is an integer. You know the word integer? What, what is an integer? It is a whole number. So one is a whole number. It is an integer. It's not 1.2. That's a number and a little bit of another number. It's not 1.7. That's a, a one with a lot more of another number. A one is a one point nothing. And if you have integrity, you are a one and not a little bit of something else mixed in there. Not something else strange or foreign added to your one. If you have integrity, you are an integer, you are one. Which means you always strictly govern your behavior by your principles. Here are your principles, here you are. You've got a lock on those principles. It's like you're a, it's like you're a jet fighter pilot and, and there's a bad guy pilot 
and playing in front of you and you're doing this and doing that and finally you've seen it. You get the lock on him. And now when you hit the missiles button, he's done because you got a lock. You got a lock on God's truth. You've got a lock on God's principles. You've got a lock on the law of God and wherever life is blowing you, you're locked onto that. And integrity is keeping that lock. What's the difference between integrity and ethics or principles? Ethics are what is right. Integrity is sticking to what is right. Ethics, morals, principles are like the law of God. Do not steal. That's ethics. That's morals. Do not bear false witness. That's ethics. That's morals. What is integrity? It's sticking to those. You can even have integrity with messed up morals, but you stick to them. You govern your life by them. One of my favorite movies on the planet, No Country for Old Men, and there's a character in there named Anton Chigger. He's like the anti-character in the book. He's the bad guy. He's actually a hitman for a drug cartel, and he is amazingly capable. He is amazingly proficient. He works amazingly hard at it, and he's got his complete own set of moral principles, which are bad. Like, he murders almost everyone he meets in the whole film. But he has lectures with the people he's about to murder and tells them why he must and explains his principles to them. And he is strictly governed by his warped and evil and twisted principles. He has integrity. And I admire that part of the character. This is a man who is governed by, in every situation, he's explained to people, here's why I must do that, here's why I can't do that, because of my principles. That's integrity. Integrity is acting in accordance with your principles every time all the time, with everyone, in every situation, no matter what might result. Here's another good word for integrity, a related word that comes from the Bible that helps us to get at the meaning of integrity. It's the word single. Not like as in non-married single, but I'll show you. It's, it's a word the Lord Jesus uses in Matthew 6.23, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, right? So it's like a lamp. It lets the light in. It shines light into your body. That's your eye. So if your eye is, and the ESV translates it healthy, all right, that's reasonable, but it's actually the Greek word single. It's, it's a Greek word that just means single. If your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. Now, I don't know. I don't know exactly. It seems like none of the commentators, and I read a bunch of them, nobody knows exactly what he was getting at here, but I have a guess. It's just a guess. Don't go by, but, but it's a guess. Ophthalmology didn't come around until the 1400s. This is 1,400 years before there was ophthalmology. So if you had bad eyes, you had bad eyes. Deal with it. Well, I have some bad eyes. Like my right eye in particular has a ton of astigmatism, and it's been that way since I was about 20. So what that means is there's a flat spot on the eye and it makes irregular, uh, there's an irregular uh, spot on the curvature of the eye and it makes the, the light come in and go the wrong place. So for example, if I take off my glasses and look at a full moon, I'm blessed. I see two of them. There's the, the bigger, brighter full moon, and then just slightly overlapping it, there's a dimmer, more blurry full moon, but I get to see two moons. If I put my glasses on, they're not perfect. I still see two moons. It's just the, the other one's a lot smaller and a little bit brighter. But my eye is not single, so I don't see clearly. Maybe this is what the Lord is referring to. People experienced that in his day with the moon and other things, no doubt. And he's saying if your eye is healthy, if your eye is single, that is, then you're going to see one thing 
And it's representing your life and your soul. The eye is the light of your, your soul. It's the light of your body. It's the light of your heart. And you are one thing. You're not, you're not a moon. Oh, but there's a little bit of a hidden moon over here. No, you're one. You're one. The person who lacks integrity is not one. We see one of you, but we see another of you. We see one of you, but if we look carefully, wait a minute, there's, there's the way you are when you're at the office. Well, wait a minute, there's the way you are at the gym. Wait a minute, there's the way you are when you're with those people. Wait a minute, there's the way you are if the world puts on pressure. But if you have integrity, you're the same moon. You're the same person. There's no variation. You are one. Here's another word that helps us with that. It's the word guile as used by Jesus in John 1:47. Jesus is talking about Nathaniel. We named our son after this Nathaniel. We knew that before he was born. We, knew, we didn't know the gender, but we knew if it's a boy, he's going to be Nathaniel. Well, it was a boy. So the nurse comes in and says, I need to fill things out. How do you want to spell that? Oh, we had never thought of that. Is it A-E-L or I-E-L? Hmm. So we asked her, is there a Bible around here? She had to go down a couple floors and she found the Gideon's Bible and she brought it back and we looked up this passage and it's A-E-L. So our oldest son is Nathaniel A-E-L. But here's what Jesus said. Behold. Like, here's a strange thing. Here's something you don't see every day. Check this out. Look at this. An Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's nothing tricky. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing else going on. He is an Israelite in whom there is no, no guile. There's no partial. There's no the truth, but there's another partial truth. There's no, here's what he looks like at church, but here's what he looks like at the gym or at work. No, he's an Israelite in whom there is no trickiness. Remember Jacob, the Israelite? Jacob? And what's his name mean? Trickster, cunning, crafty. And he he tricked his father and he tricked his brother, so he got Esau's birthright. Remember that? That's Jacob. Jesus is saying, like, in contrast to Jacob, look at this. By the way, when he says, behold, what's he saying? This is rare. There aren't many of these. Look at that. An Israelite in whom there is no guile. And by the way, it's pretty cool. Nathaniel answers by saying, how did you know me, Lord? (laughs) Like, yeah, you're right. You got that right. By the way, before we leave that, no guile, that's integrity, no trickiness, no other moon, no, you know, you're one whole. That phrase, no guile, comes from the Old Testament. Ten points to anybody who gets it. Where does it come from? Old Testament, all right, Psalms, all right, guess which king of Israel in the Psalms? All right, David, you got it. Now, which Psalm? Psalm 32, you're right. Look with me. Here it is. Blessed. This is the root from which comes the fruit of integrity. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, the blood of Christ. You have transgressions, they've been forgiven. Hallelujah. Blessed. Whose sin is covered, the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. You've got iniquity, he doesn't count it. He doesn't re- Your iniquities have been reckoned to Christ and he bore them in his own body on the cross. And the righteousness of Christ is reckoned to you and God the Father sees you in God the Son and you are blessed. The Lord counts against you no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is. Now we see the fruit in your spirit. Now this is something actually in you, not what's done for you in heaven. God doesn't reckon your sins. But here's something that's now happening in you as the fruit of your redemption. Blessed is the man in whose spirit 
There is no deceit. That's where Jesus got the, behold, an Israelite in which there's no guile. It's the same word, deceit, guile, trickiness, cleverness, cunning. And why, why so blessed? David describes for us next a time when he had deceit, when he had two moons. Here it is. For when I kept silent. Now, when is that? That's after he had sinned so grievously with Bathsheba and had her husband, noble soldier Uriah, put forth in the heat of battle and cut down, murdered by proxy, adultery and murder. Like it doesn't get much worse than that on the planet, right? And David was guilty of it. And there was a time when he kept silent. He didn't tell anybody. He didn't confess it. He didn't go to God and say, oh God, what have I done? Can there possibly be mercy for me? No, he kept silent. He stuffed it. He bottled it up. And he said, here's why you're so blessed when you don't have guile. Like I had guile in my days of silence. I was two moons. I was like King David, the righteous leader. But there was another moon. Nobody knew. There was, another, there was another moon. Well, some people knew. And I took Bathsheba and I had Uriah cut down. And why are you blessed when you don't have that kind of guile or deceit? Because when I kept silent, when I had the guile, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We know so much more today about what, what they call, I hate this term, what, what they call cognitive dissonance. Oh, I've got some cognitive dissonance. I'm married to one woman, but I'm a double, I have another woman. And I'm, I'm experiencing cognitive dissonance. What your experience is, that's a neutral term. It's an amoral term. The world loves those. What you are experiencing is Holy Spirit conviction of your sin. So anytime you read cognitive dissonance, cross it out, that's the world's amoral neutral term, and put in Holy Spirit conviction, John chapter 16, when, the, when I send the Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what you're experiencing. And David says, when I experience that, and we know now, people that experience cognitive dissonance, it, it affects them bodily, it affects their sleep, it affects their digestion, they get migraines, all kinds of bodily things come from that. And David is saying, I I experienced that, my bones wasted away, like it hurt down into my bones, and I was groaning all the time. For day and night, your hand was upon me. How heavy was heavy upon me? How heavy must the hand of God be pressing down? Because you're duplicitous. There's a secret you. You're two moons. And God's hand is weighing upon you. God's law, God's spirit is convicting you. And you're resisting, resisting, resisting. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I had a, years ago, a couple that was in this church. The husband asked, can we meet? We met. He took a long time to get to the point, told me a lot of story. But when we got to the point, what he said was, I have committed adultery against my wife. And I've got to tell her. And he said, would you be there with me when I tell her? And the most stupid thing I ever said was yes. (laughs) Brother, if you're listening, I was happy to be there for you, but that was hard. So I was there when he told her and the response and all that stuff. Why did he tell her? No one knew. Why did he come to me? Why did he go to God? Why did he tell his wife? Because the hand of God had been upon him. And he said, it's better to risk losing her than to live with the heavy hand of God upon my soul for the rest of my life. 
It's better to be no duplicity. It's better to have no guile. It's better to be a man of integrity. I've done something. I must tell God. I must tell a pastor, and I must tell my wife. I want to be a man of integrity. By the way, that marriage survived and is a wonderful marriage to this day. I'm still in touch with them, though traitors. They moved away. That's why you're blessed when you have no guile. You're blessed not to experience all of that. And that's probably where the Lord picked up. Here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. So what have we seen? Integrity is when you are one, when you are whole, when you are locked on to your principles. Hopefully they're God's principles. They could be Anton Chigger's principles. I murder everybody who gets in my way. But you had integrity. Hopefully yours are God's principles and you're locked on. And wherever that takes you and whatever the consequences, you say, I will stand with God. I will stand with the truth of God. I will follow Jesus Christ. That's integrity. It's a fruit Salvation doesn't make you a believer. Don't say, oh, I'm going to try really hard then, Pastor Steve. I'm going to try to have integrity. Well, good luck. You're going to fail. We all fail. And you're going to need grace. Now, in the Bible, there are three people about whom God witnesses. God says, that one has integrity. Only three. Three people. God says, they have integrity. We're going to look at one of them now. The other two will come in the next sermon, Lord willing. But the one we're looking at today, our first case study in integrity, is an Old Testament pagan king named Abimelech. And God says of Abimelech, a Philistine king in Genesis 20, in the time of Abraham, 2000 BC, these words, Genesis 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, And he sojourned in Gerar. Now let's stop there for a moment. So what do we know about that territory? It's the Philistine territory. There are Philistine kings. Abimelech is one of them. And those kings have harems. And they have staff whose job is nothing else. Imagine if this is your job. You go find all the drop-dead gorgeous women you can find and bring them for the king to be in his harem. That's your job. So they have men out looking. Now Sarah is 90, but apparently she still qualifies. She's drop-dead gorgeous, like they kind of know they're going to want you. So there's some backstory you need. So that's where they're living. And Abraham said of Sarah and his wife, whenever everybody, anybody inquired, of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. Which was a half-truth at a time when some people needed the whole truth to make a right decision. So it was a falsehood. She's my sister. They had agreed on this. What on earth was she thinking? Why on earth didn't she smack him in the face? But he said, look, here's what's going to happen. They're going to kill me to get you for the king. So rather than me sacrifice my bodily integrity and my spirit and soul get separated, let's sacrifice your body's integrity and let him use you in his harem. And she said, okay. Because she told people, yeah, I'm a sister. That's all. Whole story. Wasn't the whole story. Was a lie. And what on earth was Abraham thinking? So here's what happened. And Abimelech, king of Jarar, sent. He had these people on staff. This is what they did. And and he he took Sarah. Now, Abraham, in this story, is not a man of integrity. Isn't this interesting? Abraham, who is the father of the righteous who is the father of all who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. He's the father of all the people who ever followed Jesus after his day. 
and he completely, deeply, horribly lacks integrity. And by contrast, and you're supposed to notice this, a pagan king named Abimelech is going to be the man of integrity in the story. What does that tell you? Even the followers of Christ fail in integrity. Even the followers of Christ need saving grace and the blood of Christ to cover our failures. And thank God that grace is there. All right? But Abraham, what on earth was he thinking? Let's sacrifice you bodily to him rather than sacrifice me bodily to death. Here's why that's even worse. Abraham had God's promise. He believed God's promise and was reckoned righteous because of it. What did he believe? God had told him, you're going to be great. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you blessing in you and your seed, which he didn't have yet. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. That seed might have been in her womb at this moment because next chapter, first thing that happens is she bears a son. And Abraham should have said, look, honey, you know what these kings are like. You know they might take you and bump me off to get you. Let's, let, but here's what we're going to do. We believe the promise of God. And God told us we're going to have a son. And God told us through that son we're going to have many and we're going to be great and we're going to be blessed with land. And we don't have any of that yet, so we know it's coming, so we know they're not going to kill me, so we're going to stand and live in faith. She's my sister and my wife. Both were true. But instead of that, Abraham, weak in faith, and Sarah with him, calling him Lord. By the way, the Hebrew term used for uh, husband, she has a husband, later in the text, is she is lorded by a lord. Almost 46 years I've been married to Debbie trying to get her to call me lord. <laughs> it just hasn't happened. Keep working on that. And this is the second time Abraham jeopardizes Sarah. He did it years ago. So there's a serious failure of faith and integrity on the part of Abraham, faith in the promise of God. And then here's what comes next, Genesis 20, verses 3 and 4. But, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, God is sovereign, he's Lord of lords, he can speak to anybody he wants to, pagan king, follower of Christ, he can speak in a dream, he can speak in a vision, he can speak in audible voice, he can appear to them, he's God, he's sovereign, and all people are his people, so don't be surprised, what's he doing speaking to a pagan king? No, that pagan king is one of his creatures upon the planet, he's Lord over them, and he says to him, get this, this is so cool, in his dream, so, so here's Abimelech, he's having one of those vivid dreams, one of those lucid dreams, one of those technicolor dreams, one of those intense dreams. It's spooky. And he knows because God lets him know in his soul. This is God speaking. I'm not just having a dream. It's not the pizza or whatever. This is God. And God came to him in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you're a dead man. Dead man. You're dead, buddy. You're dead. I'm going to bump you off. And God has power to do that, and God has authority to do that, and he would be perfectly right if he did that with any of us at any time he wants. He doesn't owe us one day of life or breath upon the planet. He is sovereign. We are the clay. He's the potter. The, the clay can't say to the potter, why do you do that? Why'd you bump me off then? Why didn't you let me live longer? Why'd you let me have that or whatever? No, no, no. God's, God's the potter. The thing made can't say to the, to the maker, why'd you make me that way? Paul argues this, read Romans chapter 9. 
And so God says to Abimelech, and it was just of God to do this, and he can do this with any person on the planet. In fact, no one on the planet dies except God does this. And God said, behold, you're a dead man. And here's why. Because of the woman who you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, I'd like to see in the dream Abimelech's eyes when he heard that. Because Abimelech, as we're going to see, was a principled man. He was a man of integrity. In fact, later on in the passage, we read where he says, uh, it is a sin to take a man's wife. Abraham had seriously misjudged the Philistines. He had seriously mistaken Abimelech for a man who would take another man's wife. Abimelech said, no, one of my principles, I'm locked onto it, is I do not mess with another man's wife. Abraham didn't get that. So he says, she is a man's wife. So now time for a defense. Abimelech says, uh, now, oh, sorry. Now Abimelech had not approached her. Hmm, that's interesting. That'll come up again in a moment. So he said in his dream, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? You'll see later in the text, God had actually said, you're dead and they're all dead with you. Will you kill an innocent? He's pleading his innocence. Lord, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know she was married. I just took a woman for my harem. And Abraham lacked integrity and, and let it happen. Then God said to him in the dream, Genesis 20, uh, well, verse 5. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart. And in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. God, I have a principle. I do not take another man's woman, and I would not have done that. And I'm integrity. I have integrity with that. I'm locked on to that. There's not a one me and another me. That's me. That's all of me. That's all I am. That's my principle. And I live by it. And then God said to him, Genesis 20, verse 6, yes. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. The first person in the Bible about whom God affirms their integrity, a pagan king, Abimelech. I know you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And get this, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. There's a lot loaded in that. Like the sin is against him, not Sarah, not Abraham. All sins ultimately are against God and his righteousness and his holiness. But note this, he says, it's I who kept you. I'm fascinated by that. I love that. You would understand that, you will not understand that unless you have a robust biblical doctrine of common grace. God gives gifts to the unrighteous and to the righteous, to his people and to those who despise him. We learned that from the Lord Jesus when he said God sends his sun to shine on you and them. God sends his rain on you and them. Well, it's not just sun and rain. It's not just physical things. He also gives that guy who's not a Christ follower the ability to be a fabulous husband and a fabulous father and a great provider and everything else. And he can also, and he does, he restrains them from sin. That's why you can live on the planet the doctrine of total depravity does not mean everybody is as bad as they possibly could be. The doctrine of total depravity means sin has touched every part of our being. But you see, God restrains us so that the planet is habitable. And God takes credit for what the pagan king Abimelech did not do. Now, Abimelech wasn't aware of it. He wasn't like, I'm going to go see that woman. No, God is keeping me. No. So what, what did Abimelech's go, mind go back to? Maybe it was like, so that's why I had those migraines. That's why I felt 
that's why I was so sick. Like I ate bad fish. It's God who made the fish bad. It's God who gave me the migraines. That's why, just when I heard, I got this new Hebrew babe, man, she's smoking hot, let's go see her. Oh, but then these, these emissaries from a foreign place just showed up and we got to deal with them or it's going to be war and it's good for commerce. So I'm distracted and I can't go to this Hebrew woman. Man, I can't wait to see the Hebrew woman. Maybe you tried to see the Hebrew woman and had a sudden onslaught of male incompetence, impotence. And he's like, I don't understand this. It's never been before. We don't know. But God says, yeah, I'm the one who kept you from doing that. I'm the one who stopped you. You weren't aware of it. You got stopped. It was me. That's why you had integrity. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God is 100% sovereign over every event in the life of a pagan king. God restrains sin. We are not aware that he is doing it. This is why you and I are not as bad as we could be. Genesis 20 and verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech is the first person God identifies in the Bible as a person who is acting in integrity. He had principles, and they happened in this case to be good principles. I don't mess with another man's woman, and I stick to that principle, and I strictly govern my behavior by that principle, and God says, that's integrity. And by the way, I'm the one who's giving you the integrity in common grace. So there's Abraham, the father of faith, the father of the righteous, the progenitor of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, cowering, terrified. He knows the promises of God. He does not fix himself upon them. He knows principles. He flies away from his principles. We got a two-moon Abraham going on here. Same with Sarah. And we have a pagan king who says, no, I stick to what is right. I know people who are not believers, you probably do too, who are very highly principled people who govern themselves strictly by their principles and some of them might be good principles and some of them might be wrong. Abimelech is a good example of integrity. Let's learn from a pagan king. Let's learn integrity from King Abimelech. God has handed us his principles, his morals, his ethics, his doctrine, Let's fix, let's lock on to those. And wherever that takes us and whatever the consequence and whatever that might mean, we say, I'm trusting in God and I'm sticking to the principles of the word of God. Before we leave Abimelech, I want to say again, I've hinted at it, but I want to say it again. Let's put it up on the screen. There is grace when we fail in integrity. And I'm so glad to make a point of that right now because no doubt you're just like me and you're sitting here thinking, man, I have failed, I have failed. Right there I failed, right there I failed, right there. I have not been a man of integrity in that way. And the good news is the grace of God is greater than all our sins. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Pretty sure between now and whenever you die, now and whenever Christ comes back, you're gonna fail in integrity. The grace of God is greater than all of your sins. That doesn't mean you should say, whoopee, then let's sin that God's grace may abound. No, read Romans chapter 6. And 
a regenerated spirit indwelt heart will not say that, at least not consistently, at least not without finally breaking and say, man, the hand of God's too heavy on me. I'm coming to truth. But the, the grace, there is grace when we fail in integrity. You will not live in perfect integrity, but your salvation, your righteousness does not depend on that. Don't plunge yourself into debauchery. Don't sin that grace may abound. But it does mean that when you are in Jesus Christ and you fail in integrity, God's grace abounds. Now, what I wanted to do next is give you a long application on marital integrity. We're going to have different, we're going to look at different people, different verses, some verses in the Proverbs, some verses in the Psalms, one from Titus chapter 2 on doctrinal integrity. We're going to look at a bunch of different passages, but I was going to stop right here and give you a rather lengthy thing on marital integrity. There isn't time for that, but I'm going to whip your appetite. Slide man, take us to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, would you please? How about sexual integrity in marriage? The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. My, we live in a land of the sexually immoral. It's like in the air we're breathing. It's in the water we bathe in. It's everywhere around us. It's like one of the big things. But God says, and we want to be locked onto this, marriage is honorable. And the marriage bed should be kept pure because God will judge otherwise. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. They're not appearing on the back screen. Are they appearing on the front screen? All right. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. How about before we disconnect or uncouple ourselves from the Abimelech story, how about we think about what Abraham and Sarah almost blew, and that is marital purity, sexual purity in marriage. And I'll tell you one story, and then I'm going to close. I used to work out at Retro. They closed. COVID shut them down anyway. They were, they were dying. And there was a guy there. I met him. I met a lot of people there. I met this one guy. He was young, probably 30. Married, had a couple kids, pretty vivacious dude, decent weightlifter. And uh, he told me he was a believer. We talked about his church and his Christian experience a little bit. It sounded real. And then maybe a couple weeks later, I saw him flirting. I mean, really flirting, like really flirting it up with a young lady there who wasn't his wife. And they were like 20 minutes, like, ah, all gazing at each other's eyes and ah, having this great talk and just flirting it up with that girl. So I saw him like the day later and I said, what on earth were you doing? You're a follower of Christ. You have a wife, you have two kids. What are you doing talking to that girl? And he went like, yeah, I know that wasn't too good, was it? He did it again a couple weeks later. I wanted to smack him. Like, what is wrong with you? What are you thinking? Flirting it up with us. Do you know where that goes? Do you know that the Bible says that 
A man who commits adultery with a woman will be reduced to a loaf of bread. Do you know you're headed for poverty and misery and sorrow? And you have said, I do. And you need to be a man of integrity. And you stick to that I do through thick and through thin, through temptations that you turn quickly from. And you stick to that one woman. So help you God. Marital integrity, sexual integrity. There's a lot more I want to say about that. But wait for next week. Now I'll see who comes back next week. Who wants to hear that? Who doesn't want to hear that? But there's much more we want to say about integrity. Remember, this is not the main message of the faith. The faith, the, the faith does not say, so try really hard and have really good integrity and God will be happy with you. No, 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 you fail. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You need the blood of Jesus Christ to cover your transgressions. And then out of a renewed soul, a soul that's turned Godward, you want. God works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. You want, you will to have integrity as a fruit of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Thank you that it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saves us. By the washing that is regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Father, would you draw boys and girls downstairs today? Would you draw men and women upstairs today? Would you draw people all over the globe today to turn their hearts to you, to God? and to believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. And by your grace, many of us have, and we pray, Lord, make us one. Make us one. Make us men and women of integrity. Right down till Jesus comes. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.